Hi, my name is Amelia. I'm from Russia, and this episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Did you know that using DistroKid's promo card feature, you can create easy, customizable graphics to promote your Spotify release? You can upload a personalized design to appear with your music that you've released through DistroKid on Spotify. This is also a great way to promote your release and drive increased shares, streams, and saves of your music. This is a free feature for all DistroKid members. Take advantage of this awesome function and so many more by using our DistroKid discount link, districtkid.com slash VIP slash MPW. Uh, what this is MPW, 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 the podcast with your host, Zyla Aria. Cool. A podcast about music production for the everyday musician, where we learn from experienced studio engineers and each other. Adele Cutting is a BAFTA award-winning audio director with over 20 years of experience in the games industry. She was a senior audio director at EA Games before she started her own audio outsourcing company, Soundcuts. Soundcuts has worked with various companies, including Microsoft, Creative Assembly, Nickelodeon, and has recently scooped a TIGA award for best audio design for their work on the quarry. How are you, Adele? Lovely to have you on the podcast. Lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So you mentioned it's been a busy day for you so far. So what's been on the agenda? Well, at Suncuts, we provide all things audio for games. So actually today I've been casting, choosing actors for which roles I want them to to take in a game. So yeah, it's been pretty busy. We've got loads of sessions going on at the moment for two projects. So that's what my job was for today. Oh, that's so interesting. So it's you're finding actors to be the characters yes. in the game. Is yeah. that right? Okay. Wow. I never thought about that, actually, that someone would have to sort of be that character or play it. Yeah, it's, it's, game, so. it's quite funny because obviously in every other form of media, it's very different historically, because games came out of a one-person audio department. Anything that made a sound became the audio director's responsibility. So whether that was speech or sound effects or music, it was the whole, you're responsible for everything. Uh, Not like film where you've got, obviously, the sound supervisor and then a music supervisor, and then, you know, the director himself and the casting team would have cast the directors. It's definitely getting that way now, you know, on some of the big triple or quad A titles, they'll have casting teams. But it's something that I've done since about 1996 and I've stayed with it. So we still do a lot of casting. I do direction and editing as well. Yeah, it'd be good to get into that a little bit more on where did your career start for you and how did you end up doing what you're doing today as well with Sound Cuts? It started... I was quite fortunate. I knew at quite a young age what I wanted to do. I really was interested in sound. I watched Singing in the Rain. I really loved musicals, like so much. And um, (laughs) for a long period, I wanted to be a dancer. But I loved Singing in the Rain. And I was really sort of like uh, interested in how they actually made talkies ages ago. And I thought that was really interesting. And I was doing a music degree. I was doing lots of sort of like amdram and music and orchestras and stuff out of school as well. Then it was actually my mum who said, well, why don't you, you know, you love all that stuff. Why don't you go for work experience somewhere? So I wrote to Radio York. I was meant to be with the newsreader, but she didn't have any time for me at all. So she put me down in the basement with the sound people. And actually I thought, oh, I found my people. Great. <laughs> so, so that was great. And then um, I went to Yorkshire TV 
And really, that's where it started. I was doing a music degree. The graduate landscape was very different then. And so like university courses were very different. So now obviously Mm. you have sound design courses, composition courses, composition specifically for games. When I went, there wasn't that breadth. So I went to a course that did sound recording and acoustics as well as sort of like your classical composition performance. But it had sound synthesis and, as I said, acoustics, sound recording. And that's really what I went for. I liked everything else, but that was what I went for. And then from there, I heard about the National Film and Television School. So I went there and did a postgrad specialising in... I was on sort of like a taster two-year course, which only ran for like a few years. And the first year you did everything, production and post. And then in your second year, you specialised. And then you got a lot of work placements. So I did a placement at a place called Real Sound, which was based at Pinewood Studios. They offered me a job and I was like... So I went back to the film school and I said, I've still got to finish the course, but I've been offered a job. And they said, well, if you can do everything we still need you to do here, then we'll let you take the job. So I sort of like balanced working and finishing studies at the same time. And then EA called the National Film and Television School and said, we need somebody to do the animation. They're called cutscenes. It's the linear bit, the linear movie in between gameplay. Now it's sort of like a lot more transparent because it all uses in-game text, so it's sort of like seamlessly, you can't tell where gameplay starts and stops and it goes into a cutscene apart from you can't move your person anymore. So it was just for that. I love doing animation because it had no sound, nothing. And I was really lucky that they said, well, we've got this girl, she's left now, but why don't you call her? She really loves animation. So yeah, I looked round and that was the start of a very long career in games audio. I started in, I I had a short-term contract in 1995, started full-time as a junior in 1996, worked my way up to being senior audio director. And then I left in 2011 and started Sound Cuts. And it was just me, but I never intended it to be me because I loved working as part of a team. So gradually over the last 11 years, I've built up a team. Wow. That sounds like quite a journey. (laughs) <laughs> it was quite a long time ago now, but it's been, you know, I mean, the thing is with games, the technology changes all the time. So you're never on sort of like solid ground because there's always new tech, especially when you're freelance, because you work one way with Ubisoft and some different way with Supermassive Games or a different way. You know, everybody has their own tools and tech. So even though there are standard engines, it's always changing. So it's exhausting. But I like it, clearly. (laughs) Yes, obviously. Yeah, no, that's great. And yeah, I mean, I haven't played games in a long, long time. But when I had a look at some of the things that you've worked on and the quarry was one of them and I saw the image for it and it looked like a movie kind of advertising and everything, even in that like one shot that I could see looked so real. And I was like, wow, like games have come a long way. Oh my goodness, (laughs) they really have. I mean, the the facial animation and the visuals now, I mean, the likeness of the performers on the mocap set when they end up in game, you know, it's so, so close. Incredible. So can you tell me a random fact about yourself that maybe not that many people in music know? I am going to say I'm scared of flying. It doesn't stop me flying, but I'm scared of flying. I've literally just booked a flight to a games conference in San Francisco and I cried 
after purchasing the ticket. Oh. I'm, that, I'm that scared <laughs> of flying. It's ridiculous. But yes, maybe that's a fact. Oh, no. Okay. That is an interesting fact. Living in Australia, I think you can't be too scared of flying. Otherwise, you'll never leave the island. But It doesn't stop me doing it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like I'm, I'm so determined to get there. Yeah, I can't sit next process. to. Any, yeah, I can't sit next to anybody I know on a business flight because I just sob <laughs> like a. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, you poor thing! Gosh. <laughs> oh, that is an interesting one. So, also looking at a bit of time travel, is there any events in your life that you would change? No, I wouldn't change anything because even the bad stuff it leads me to where I am today and I'm I'm happy with that I think a big moment that was a really big change was obviously when I started sound cuts because I'd been working at EA for like 15 years at that point I'd always thought about starting my own company but I don't think I ever would because I was in a senior audio director at probably the biggest games company in the world why would you leave I was doing the job that I wanted to do there was no reason and I could have continued and gone into the exec producer route or you know gone so like gone up the corporate business ladder or, or whatever but it was in the recession so there'd already been several rounds of redundancies and there was a group of us and we're like last men standing <laughs> last guard mm. they came in and they said oh i saw all the big cheeses from america walking past my office and i thought hmm, don't know why they're here and then they said oh everybody company meeting and i thought oh this is it Uh-oh. this is the uh, okay. And it was, and they made the entire studio redundant. But for me, it was the kick up the bum I needed to do what I really wanted to do in my gut. So I'm very thankful, actually. So yeah, so that was a pretty big thing that completely changed my direction. It made me get my mojo back. I'd got into a position where, even though I was the audio director, it was a lot of reviewing and a lot of budgets. So yeah, so that was the big turning point. It could have been a flop. Mind you, I also went into it in a very much, do you know what, I'm going to go for it. And if it all goes wrong, I'll just go in-house again. That's probably the only way to do it. Having started MPW in a much smaller scale to what Soundcuts is now, but maybe not knowing what's involved in it is actually a good thing when you start, (laughs) because maybe you would never have started it otherwise. (laughs) There's there's definitely some things I'd like to get rid of, that's for sure. (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah. but it's all, it's all experience, isn't it? Loads of stuff. Mm, yeah, for sure. So then coming into the games world, so when we're talking about making music for games, what kind of sounds are we talking about? Is it sound effects? Is it like full tracks or background music? What does that involve? It's everything because you can't just say what is game music. It's like saying what is film music. Because there's so many different genres. You know, there's so many different styles. I mean, a lot of the games I've been working on recently have been narrative games like The Quarry and As Dusk Falls. And their soundtracks, they're very different, actually. A guy called Ian Livingston composed the music for The Quarry. And it was, well, I say full orchestral, but actually we ended up stripping it back to be very much guitar-focused with lower strings, only high strings for melodies, lots of synth work. Although the composer delivers it as a set of loops, We actually edited it so it was completely bespoke. Every action or every choice you made in the game completely changed the music track. And then you've got Forrest Swords, who did the soundtrack for As Dusk Falls. And although integration-wise, he delivered the stems again, 
we then dissected that to make it bespoke to go with the picture. And that was very different. That sounded very Americana to its feel. But you've got loads of stuff out there. You've got loads of indie games like in 2020. Best Audio was for a indie title called Ape Out. And uh, that was almost reminiscent of the soundtrack to Whiplash. You know, all the jazz drums. That was crazy. But you've got chip music as well, like all the, the old stuff, like all the Sonic track. When I came into games, I did not have even... I loved films. I'd studied film. You know, I didn't have a clue what the music for games was like. I played Lemmings and Donkey Kong, and I thought that's still how it was. And it wasn't at all. I mean, when I joined, they were really into industrial. It was all industrial music, you know. But then orchestral soundtracks have come into the fore. And, you know, there's millions spent on recording Abbey Studios and Air to get these full orchestral soundtracks. But not every game needs that. It completely depends on what the subject matter is as to what music you put forward for it. So pretty much, although it's a bit of a cop-out question, I'd say every type of music because it completely depends on the game. Okay. All right. So you mentioned kind of coming up with some loops that can be used and then making them bespoke to those cut scenes. Is that what you mean? Well, in a narrative game like the ones we've had, it's almost like imagine chunks of film that are spliced together, but at the end of every chunk you make a choice, so it depends where you go. So it has to sound like a seamless soundtrack, even though you're going through this giant branching network. And there'll be certain places where the music will have to loop Mm, or mm, sometimes mm. we'll use an evolving loops. So, for example, if I'm delivered one minute worth of music in 25 stems, I might use just three of those stems for one set and then a different four for a second set and a different four for something else. They'll almost sort of like virtually play together and then in real time you can swap between those stems Okay, um, yeah, so yeah, you can yeah, do absolutely. that. And then we break it down. So we'll actually use just little sections or instruments from different cues to create transition sequences or to build up to a big moment. Also, the composer might give you a riser, which is a godsend. And, uh, you know, so that you could put that underneath and build the music up. But it's all different. Some composers don't do that at all. And they like to give you absolutely every cue mixed down so I think it really depends on you as an audio director how you like to work with composers how integrated the composers want to be I mean I've been working with Ian for years and so luckily thank goodness he trusts me so I dissect his music build it back up and then play it and say is this and I'll go perfect is this good and I'll go that's great but he doesn't get involved in integrating it into WYS which is the tool that you put all the loops and stuff in and make sure that it transitions and exits at different beats of the bar. Whereas some composers love that and they actually want to do the integration. So it completely depends. But that's how I've worked with people and that's how we worked on The Quarry and As Dust Falls and how we did the Harry Potter games years ago. Yeah. Wow. Right. It sounds a bit like a Goosebumps choose your own adventure sort of situation with music, which is incredible and how they all would need to fit in together and not sound like you've awkwardly moved on to something else. Or... Well, the, the tool WISE is phenomenal for that. I mean, there's so many different ways. It's so flexible. You can use it in so many different ways. So you can 
exit immediately or on the specific beats of the bar, you can set up exit cues because everybody plays the game differently. You could, you know, be midway through a scene and then just go up and make a cup of tea. And the music's got to be able to get in a holding pattern. So when you come back, it can start off and it'll sound seamless, but it'll still follow the trajectory of the narrative. I actually find that really rewarding. I get a real buzz out of getting the integration spot on and musical. So people don't realise that there was a transition. It just sounds seamless. You know, that is the ultimate goal that they can't see through the cracks. Okay, incredible. And what kind of brief would you get from a company for a game? It depends. So we've been on games and the in-house composers here have done the music for it. And the creative director has been quite specific and they've been very specific on what exactly they wanted. And there's been spotting sessions, as you'd have if you worked in, in TV or film. But the actual integration of it, not so much. That's normally left down to us. They normally see it just as the final product and give feedback on that. But with the quarry, the creative director, we were very much on the same page. So I came back with, a, you know, here's some pictures from different composers. This is one I really like. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's the one I really like. And then um, I was just really left to it to go through and then work with Ian and say, this is what I think we need here. What do you think? You know, so it's very, very open. So it really depends on the creative director who you're working with. Okay, right. And how would you go about developing skills in making music for games specifically? Fundamentally, I'm a big believer in that tech and the interactivity can be taught, but you've got to be a great composer to start with. So I think it's exactly the same skills that you build up if you wanted to be a great composer for film or TV or whatever medium you wanted to be a great composer in. I think if you've decided that you really want to do games, I think it'd be really good to actually study games to actually see if you can find the music systems, if you can understand it and you can listen and try and work out what's going on interactively. I think that'd be a really good thing to do. I mean, WWISE does have a WWISE 101 course, which teaches you everything you need to know. So you can sit there and just play with it until you sort of like understand how it would work. I mean, there's meetups game audio people love talking about game audio and there are so many meetups all the time and I think if you just searched on Twitter you'd find out where the local meetup was and we're so friendly so I think just come down and people will just chat to you for hours about it <laughs> you're probably like no let me go <laughs> but there's yeah okay. that's what I'd say Okay, okay. Well, that's great that there's such an active community that maybe it can be a bit easier for people to build that network. I think it's because game audio people feel quite often left out in the games world because it's all about art. It's always very art focused. And so I think that's why we all club together and go out a lot. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's a good side effect. So what are some of the important tools for making music for games? And I know you mentioned WWIs, WIs, yeah. FMOD. I think apart from that, it's just whichever door you fancy composing in. I mean, we regularly at Soundcuts have in games for audio. It's generally Reaper, but a composer's different. So they can use whatever they want, be it Pro Tools or Logic or Ableton. So there's quite often heated discussions in our 
group chat with, I hate Pro Tools, I hate this. Uh, so I really think it's whatever <laughs> you feel most comfortable composing in. But I would say get a really great, good, solid base sample library. Okay. Uh, I think that'd be a really good start. I mean, there's a lot of games now that do have budget, even if you don't have budget to go to Air Studios and record like a, I don't know, 50-piece orchestra or whatever. And there'll still be a small amount of budget if you want to record a handful of live musicians for the solo parts. So I think it's good to have a bass library. But I think also when you're starting out, I mean, what sort of music do you want to compose? You know, because really it's sort of like building your library of instruments around the style of music that you're passionate about. Yeah. And on that, actually, would you recommend someone try to be sort of an all-rounder as far as genres and what they make? Or is it better to kind of niche down on what you enjoy and what you feel you're good at and then just stick with that? You see, I was sort of having a debate with myself about this. I think ultimately, when you've had a lot of games, I think you can go exactly into this is my style this is me people hire you specifically for your music however I think at the start and I'm sure loads of composers are going to go she's totally wrong you should only go with what you're great at but I know that we get loads and loads of really small games in and there's everything from like oh we want trip hop oh no now we want space stuff with a theremin and now we're going to do African beats and now we want Chinese music. And so the guys here have to be super flexible because mm. literally from one week to the next, it's different style, different style, different style, but they're in very small games. But when it comes to the big games, people are hired specifically for their brand of music. So if you look at people like Austin Wintry or Ian Livingston or The Flight or Gareth Coker, they're hired specifically for their style because it has their seal of approval. It's got their stamp on it, even though it might be completely different. I mean, if you look at somebody like Austin Wintry, the Banner Saga is very different to Journey, which is what made him famous. And everything he does is slightly different. When he did Assassin's Creed, that was sort of like all English bar music and pub music and Victorian, not current day. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so he does, I'd say... You could still probably tell it's him, but they're all very, very different. Mm. Yeah. But then Hans Zimmer's super different, isn't he? Everything he does is very different. So, All right, so maybe somewhere a mix between the yeah, two. Yeah, I think starting out, expect to do whatever you're asked, make it big, concentrate on what you're going to do. Yeah, okay. And as a composer, is there anything that you would recommend for you to get your foot in the door? Networking. And I don't mean thrusting business cards, everybody you see, because that's not networking. <laughs> you know, just turning up at these audio meetups, you know, going to develop a place like that and just chatting and being genuinely interested in what people are doing rather than just constantly selling yourself, I think is a good way. There's loads of game jams, which is when people, you know, for fun, make a game in the space of 48 hours. And they always oh, wow. need audio people to create music for that. And lots of those games get picked up and made into indie games. You know, so that's a great thing. That's a gift. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is hard. There's lots of people doing it and it's just a case of pounding the pavements really and meeting people to, you know, meeting audio directors because audio directors who ask for the pictures to be sent. Mm. So... Mm -mm -mm. definitely yeah, hook yeah, up yeah. Them. okay yeah no I think there's so much to networking and I don't know why it seems to have a 
negative connotation maybe the way some people do it I don't know <laughs> but nice yeah probably I mean does anybody really like it <laughs> I mean I don't I still get nervous now you know sort of like walking into a room and it's like yeah okay right come on let's do it let's <laughs> smile I think I've learned to enjoy it it does take it out of you but um... oh it's exhausting <laughs> yeah. but because obviously I've been doing it a while now so there's normally people who I've known for so long now it's sort of like they're friends do you know what I mean yeah so yeah it does get more more enjoyable but I still get a little bit oof, when I first walk into the room and there's a sea of faces yeah <laughs> no it is a bit of work that's true and without getting too much into the technicality but this was something I was very curious about because I guess as a music creator in other parts of the music industry you are paid in multiple different ways and I won't go into all the copyright which I barely understand but you know you might get paid through PRS and then you might get an upfront payment if it's a sync payment or something like that how does that work in the gaming space and do you get paid for a contract or how does that work well mainly it's (laughs) per minute so it'll okay. be a per minute rate, depending on whether they want the buyout or not. Buyouts is something that's quite big in the games industry. I don't think it is so much in other industries. But yeah, most games companies, it'll be a per minute rate. And that will either include or not include a buyout. On a game recently we did the music for, they did say it is this amount for the entire project. And we'll pay you half up front and half at the end. That's a rarity though. Yeah, I haven't done that before. I suppose it's a bit more like the TV model when we've done stuff for tv it's sort of like per episode and it doesn't matter how many minutes you know it doesn't matter if you score a minute in that episode or the full 10 minutes that is the rate for that episode so right so in this case it's per minute of soundtrack is it it's per minute of delivered music so for example they might give me 81 minute loops but a game isn't 80 minutes a game can last like 14 hours or more if you're playing something epic like Assassins or Horizon or God of War. I mean, it's hours and hours and hours. And so there's no way they can pay somebody to score that mm, completely. Yeah, so yeah. hence why it's a per minute undelivered music that's used in the game. It's also meant to be if you they can deliver music, but it's not used in the game, then they can get it back. But uh, I end up using it all. Okay, yeah. And then when you say buyout, that means that it can't be used anywhere else and it then belongs to the company? Is that what that means? It belongs to the computer games company. Okay. No, that's good to know. Oh, wow, that's been fascinating, Adele. So many things that I didn't know anything about that I've learned something about today. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. As as I say, (laughs) there's so many different things that I'm sure if you get somebody else from games, they'll tell you completely different answers. (laughs) Oh, well, that's fine. I think it's great to hear it from an audio director's perspective. You're seeing everything from top and how it all flows in together into the project. So that's excellent. So coming into our speed quiz, Adele, are you ready? I've been nervous. I've been nervous about this one. (laughs) People do find this very nervous (laughs) and very nerve-wracking. I'm not quite sure why. I'll try to be speedy. We're quite friendly here, but... (laughs) Oh, you are? Very. All right. (laughs) That's good. That's good. All right. So quick fire five questions. All right. Mac or PC? PC. Melody or lyrics? Melody. 
New top 10 or evergreen faves? Uh, evergreen faves. <laughs> I think. Playlists or, <laughs> playlists or shuffles? Uh, playlists. Headphones or speakers? Speakers. Okay, that was good. That was good. It was just one oh. one question we almost had you at. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I could have answered both. It's like just because of games, like audio is generally on a Mac, but because... Uh, yeah. In games, everything's developed on PC. It's just you get used to using it, so you end up just being on PC. I can hear the composers as Sanka shrieking, Mac, yeah. Mac. Oh, my gosh. I'm definitely definitely a Mac person and never going back. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, no, it's interesting to know that the games are developed on PC. That was good. So coming to our top tips section, Adele. So what is your one top career tip? Learn to be resilient. I think is my biggest one. I mean, the games chop and change all the time. You can't get too attached. I mean, everybody, we're creative. So you do get emotionally involved in whatever you're doing, but you've got to remember that it could be snatched away and canned at any moment. And similarly, just, you know, we're an outsourcing team, but that's effectively freelance and people might not want you working on that game. So you've just got to go, okay, that's cool. You know, so you've got to be, Okay with rejection. You've got to be okay with feedback because you get a lot of feedback. Mm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you'll get feedback and you're like, absolutely, that's awful. If I change that, it's going to sound terrible. But, you know, they're our client. So sometimes you have to suck it up and go on. But, I mean, it's hard working games. It can be, and the industry is trying to change this, but it can be crazy working hours. So I think resilience is key. Okay, that's good to be aware of. And speaking of the long working hours, do you have one top self-care tip? No, I'm not I'm not very good at that. <laughs> uh, um, what I would say, though, and what does worry me is when I see on Twitter, you know, people who are starting out and they seem to be really just working. I know why they're doing it, because I did it myself, you know, working crazy hours, you know, going to all the meetups, trying to do everything. And I think you've got to be enthusiastic and go to as much as you can, but don't kill yourself over it. Because the next thing I see on Twitter is somebody's not having a good mental health day or they're feeling burnt out. You know, you can't be mummy about it. I can't say, oh, I think you're doing too much. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> but I do think there are people out there who are, you know, people really want to work in the industry. And I think that they really want to do everything they can and put their best foot forward. And I just think sometimes they need to just slow down. So I just say, listen to your body and don't try and do too much. You know, you can Mm. say no. You can not turn up to that game audio event. Give yourself time to breathe, really. Yeah, no, very, very important of knowing your limits and knowing when to stop. So I love that. And your last one, which is one top general life tip. Actually, this first answer works for self-care and for life, which is get a dog because they're the best. (laughs) They're the most calming, loving things ever. And I just think that's a great thing to have in life. But on a serious note, I would say don't be an arsehole. Sorry if I'm not allowed to say that. (laughs) But there's just quite a lot. There's quite a few out there. And I don't think it's necessary. So I just think... You know, be nice to people is the key thing. Because from a personal point of view, I just think it's nice to 
be pleasant and treat people the way you'd want to be treated. And I think from a professional point of view, you never know who you're going to meet again. So be nice. For sure. It's a simple one, but a very, very important one. So thank you for sharing that. It's been really, really lovely, Adele. And thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge with us tonight. And is it almost bedtime for you or is there more to go? It's nearly 10 to 10. So yeah. Yes. All right. Excellent. Well, and have a I'll good morning. Get to that. Yes. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Brilliant. Cheers. My biggest three takeaways from Adele's episode was firstly, to get into the composing for games industry, you will need to learn how to use some interactive audio softwares such as WYS and FMOD. My second biggest takeaway was to go to gaming audio meetups to network and to find your first projects on games that might just be created. And my last biggest takeaway was to not take things too personally because sometimes you might have spent a long time on composing a piece which may or may not be used and that's not an issue about your skill but rather that it might not be the right thing for that project. That's it from us this week and we look forward to seeing you in two weeks. 